Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 697. In their seats, some looking at me with curiosity, some with fear. Some shivered and refused to meet my eye. Seeing their reaction shook me, and I made an effort to get a grip on myself. I drew a deep breath and closed my eyes. The moment of strange disorientation passed, though my boots still felt hard and heavy on my feet. When I opened my eyes again, I saw Hespi looking up at me. She spoke hesitantly. Quoth, she said, you look well. I smiled wide. I am. We thought you were lost. You thought I was gone, I corrected gently as I made my way to the fireplace where Martin stood. Dead in Falurian's arms or wandering the forest, mad and broken with desire. I looked at them each in turn. Isn't that right? I felt the whole room's eyes on me, and decided to make the most of the situation. Come now, I am Quoth. I am Eremara born. I have studied at the university and can call down lightning like Taberlin the Great. Did you really think Falurian would be the death of me? She would be, said a rough voice from the edge of the hearth. If you had ever so much as seen her shadow. I turned to see the hawk-faced fiddler. I beg your pardon, sir. You should beg the pardon of everyone here, he said, his voice dripping with disdain. I don't know what you hope to gain from this, but I don't believe the lot of you saw Falurian, not for a second. I met his eyes. I did more than see her, friend. If that were true, then you'd be mad now, or did. And while I'll admit you might be mad, it's not from any fairy charm. The room chuckled at this. No one has seen her in a score of years. The fair folk have left this place behind, and you're no Taberlin, no matter what your friends say. I'm guessing you're just a clever storyteller hoping to make a name for himself. That struck uncomfortably close to the mark, and I could see some of the crowd eyeing me skeptically. Before I could say anything, Dayton burst in. What about his beard, then? When he ran off three nights ago, his face was as smooth as a baby's ass. So you say, the fiddler replied. I was going to keep quiet, even though I didn't believe half of what you told us about these bandits or him calling the lightning. But I thought to myself, their friend probably died, and they want folks to remember him with a proud story or two. I looked down his broke. He looked down his broken nose to where Dayton sat. But really, this has gone too far. It's not wise to tell lies about the fair folk. I don't appreciate the end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. I like that he's a fiddler. Uh, the, the disdainful word that Quoth uses to describe another musician who is perhaps uh, below him in, in musician stature. Yes, he's, he's not a, a violinist. He's not a violinist. Yes. I, I have a friend who is really into like he's involved in like the bluegrass scene, and we were hanging out. I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he told he you know we'd had a few drinks, and he leaned in and said, "Jeremy, do you know what the difference is between a violin and a fiddle?" And I leaned in and said, "Well, what's that?" And he said, "You can spill beer on your fiddle," and uh, as far as I'm aware, that's the only distinction. Yes, I believe Bridget <laughs> told us something similar. Mm. Or I might have already told that anecdote on an episode we had Bridget on. Oh, that's possible. I think it's interesting also, this guy thinks so highly of the Fae. He he says, you know, the Fae have left this world. It's not wise to tell lies about the fair folk. It's not like he doesn't believe in fairies. It's that he doesn't believe... This story. That Quoth saw this fairy. And he has, like, a lot of respect and fear 
of fairies. I think that's interesting. He's not just like responding to Quoth, you know, to Quoth being a liar. He's responding to essentially a like a naming issue, right? This is how someone might respond if they were afraid of the Chandrian and someone was talking about the Chandrian. And I'm not saying that he thinks that he's a Chandrian. I'm just saying that the depth of his response to me signals like a deeper fear and respect than we've maybe encountered so far uh, regarding the fairy. Yeah, that is a like a useful distinction in, in that he's not dismissing, like he clearly believes the fae exist, but I think he believes the fae exist kind of in the same way that he believes that God exists, that like you're not actually likely to meet one, you know? And so the idea that someone actually met one of the fae is a bit outlandish. He also talks about how the Fae have left. What does he does he even say? Yeah, the Fair Folk have left this place behind, which mm-hmm. reminds me of the time of the elves is over. My people are leaving these shores. Exactly, they are they are diminishing and going into the west. Yeah, it's also an idea that I don't know that we've encountered very much or at all. The idea that the Fae are like abandoning the mortal realm that seems like a new idea to me. Uh, certainly, we have evidence that once you know, once the worlds were the same and there were lots of Fae. And now there are less. Mm-hmm. That's a story that Falurian tells Quoth, and Quoth doesn't seem to to have any idea that that is the case. So I think that we're meant to take from what this guy says that mortal opinions on whether the Fae exist or not, and what their what their deal is, is divided. But at least some people, him included, think that they did once inhabit or make contact with the mortal world more regularly, and that they don't do that anymore. Yeah, and it seems cultural. Like maybe this guy is vintage or something like that. Jordana, mm. what are you what are you thinking about this page? Well, so my initial gut reaction is to ha- totally hate this guy because I'm like, oh, whatever, man. Like, it's totally true. How dare you question him? It definitely happened. Boo you. <laughs> like, that's my 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 that's what my heart says when I read this page. But also, he's being pretty reasonable, like based on what people probably actually encounter like i i would like i i would be this guy in a bar i wouldn't say anything though like but i wouldn't i wouldn't believe that story either so i don't really blame this guy for not believing their story but i'm also really mad at him for not believing their story well yeah because we know for a fact that it's true yes it's very well we have both word that it's true but yes we have no reason to doubt it it's complicated. Beyond the unreliable narrator. I mean, I think he is also annoyed that these people have come in and stolen his thunder when he could be making money playing for this tavern. So I think he's trying to shut them up so that he can get on with what he thought was going to be his evening's work. I think that's fair. And I think that's probably why Quoth doesn't like him. He's like a dark anima. He's another mm-hmm. uh, traveling musician who's trying yes. to work a crowd. He's a doppelganger. And I also like that Quoth... Uh, Quoth calls out that uh being called a clever storyteller hoping to make a name for himself strikes uncomfortably close to the mark because he is those things uh, and i think that is why he's playing it up a little bit mm-hmm. but well, as we know it actually did happen it's actually true yeah and it's interesting throughout this scene what quoth chooses to exaggerate and what he chooses to downplay yes he doesn't tell a lewd story, despite the fact that he very much could. Hmm. Well, I mean, 
he kind of does later on. <laughs> like when he tells them like what really did, when he tells them his version of what did happen to him, uh, there are like, he kind of plays up the sex and plays down some of the other stuff because he wants people yes, to go well, away with a certain impression of him. Yes. And certainly there's at least one character who goes away with a very clear impression of him. <laughs> Thanks for the chuckle, Jordana. You're welcome. My pleasure. Here to please. <laughs> so is Quoth. Indeed. I feel like there's not a lot on this page because the whole page is essentially just. Like, it's just this guy being a yeah, jerk. Yeah, it's just, it's just this guy. I think we can read a little bit into the reactions of his party members. I think it's interesting that they're all unhesitatingly supportive of him. And mm-hmm. I personally find it a shame, again, that Hespi is pretty much a cipher. I wish that we had a little bit more character from Hespi kind of throughout the whole journey, because she sort of, to me, she is still kind of a blank slate and exists as a foil for Dayton, primarily. But I've said a lot about Hespi already, so I'm not going to dive too into it. But I, I do wish that she had a little bit more going for her in the scene as well as most of the scenes she's in. You do make a good point though, because when we, when Quoth last left his friends, like they were all kind of gossiping about how he like murdered a bunch of people in a pretty shocking and brutal way and how they're all kind of scared of him. But now that they've had a couple of days to think that he is dead and may have died tragically, they're kind of reassessing how they feel about him. And I wonder how much their reactions to him here are them like feeling bad for thinking badly of him or covering up the fact that they were maybe glad to see the back of him and covering that up by being overly friendly to him. I happen to think it's more the first thing. I think that however frightened they may have been of him, he also did save all of their skins. And I think they are, they do like genuinely wish that they had been a little nicer to him and were sad that he died. Uh, But I think that any of us might, you know, be taken a bit aback of someone we thought for sure was dead, uh, turned up to not be dead. Yeah, that's a good point. I read this as, and now that you point that out, I read this as them solidifying Quoth in their minds as like a storybook character, as like a, a, a tale, a, a fairy tale hero. Because, you know, you do a mass murder and that's a single mass murder, but you do a mass murder and then you disappear chasing a fairy and then you return three days later with a full beard and a shadow cloak and you've definitely you know you've definitely done some shit you're no longer just a mass murderer you're now like a great hero who uh who can you know call down thunder and lightning and uh has traveled through the fairy realm i think that this is a combination of all those things jeremy but it's now sort of elevated quoth from like a guy they once knew who did a bunch of stuff and then died to like oh my god this guy is like a legendary figure in our minds. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree with that. And then they don't quite know how to treat him. Yeah. Very good. Mailbag. This is from our good friend, John from Ventus, who writes foolish slash wise bracket Google translate challenge. Close bracket. Uh Oh, there was a discussion about Google translate back in May. So I decided to write my next letter in Estonian and see what Google would do with it. It came out not too bad. And I will not attempt to transliterate the Estonian text. Instead, I will read the translated text. Hello, pages. I'm so glad you're back. I've missed you so much. Your conversation about page 655 got me thinking about the title of this book. 
Quoth tells us that he's only a stupid person who worries about things he can't change. In this particular case, he decides not to bother himself, but it seems to me that if we look at Quoth's behavior in general, he still bothers with a lot of things that normally could be said to be inevitable, especially the tragic fate of his family. I think that Quoth's personal character flaw of pride prevents him from realizing that the things he is looking into are actually too big for him. In other words, he significantly lacks this wise man's fear. Also, a quick word about the later Star Wars material. I'm guessing that Jeremy is already aware of the short stories, of which there are at least a hundred, where there is no hint of Grumpy Luke anywhere, nor any of the other weird elements of the new trilogy that makes some fans angry. Sincerely yours, Vintus John. Before we talk about the book, Vintus John, I just want to say I'm pro-Grumpy Luke. I want more Grumpy Luke. It's yeah. not that there's elements of the new trilogy that I think are bad. It's that the elements that I think are challenging and interesting and deserve a deeper dive were treated with great disrespect by the business heads who are ultimately in charge of the franchise and that Ryan Johnson's work in particular wasn't allowed to grow uh, and, and that it was treated disrespectfully. I think that the position of this podcast has always been, and uh, I, if this wasn't clear before, we must make it clear now that the, the last Jedi is far and away the best thing that Disney has done with star Wars since acquiring the license. And then the one, two punch, at least for me, I don't want to speak for my co-host, but the one-two punch of the Rise of Skywalker undoing basically all the cool stuff that Ryan Johnson set up in his movie, and then the execrable ending of season two of The Mandalorian featuring featuring a deeply disturbing deepfake Luke doing what all the whiny nerds wanted him to do in Last Jedi and mow down a bunch of robots like a deus ex machina. I found that deeply offensive and counter to everything that I wanted out of the new Star Wars films. So uh, I am pro blue milk sipping grumpy Luke. I am anti deep fake lightsaber douchebag Luke. I, uh, I'd like to stay out of this argument because I just like to watch movies and try to enjoy them. Yeah, I, I do too, that, but like, what if they're the, bad? <laughs> the calm, philosophical Ahsoka Tano doesn't make any sense. That's not what the character was like. She was She's left the Jedi Order. There's no reason for her to be like, trust in the Force. You will feel your destiny coming. She should be, like, grumpy and, as you say, execrable. Like, she should be uh, the foil to Luke. If Luke has to be a Jedi purist, she should be a foil to it. But... They just, they, they can't make it, they can't take any risks. They can't risk any more doing things with those characters that fans might respond poorly to, which is a shame, but I do think it's disrespectful. And I think it's like, it's worsening the setting by not exploring the nooks and crannies of it and taking things to logical conclusions, which is what The Last Jedi did in a very interesting way. Anyway, to speak about uh, your letter... I think it's very interesting to note that the wise man's fear is something that Quoth lacks and that he he doesn't have enough sense to like realize that maybe he shouldn't be looking into these things. On the other hand, I think the, the trade-off is that it's kind of all he has. Like it's it's the thing that's keeping him going. I guess he could always settle down and just like be a great musician or something, but he does have this this un, unanswered question that's driving him. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think that's quite interesting. Yes. I, I also agree and hadn't feel like I hadn't thought of that before. So yes, good. Thank you for noticing. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to read between the lines of the translation. He bothers with a lot of things that could be said to be inevitable. Like he's, he, he messes with powers beyond his understanding. That's certainly true. 
Cool. Yeah. Anything else you care to add, Jeremy? Nope. I think you guys covered it. Well then, why don't we wrap this page up in a neat little bow and put it to bed in the page bed where we put all the discarded pages. It's not a shoot into a furnace. Heavens and it's no. not a bar graph bed. That's for us. No, that's for uh, us. That's where we go when we're discarded. That's right. And there is and a shoot can, into a furnace there. You can Which discard us. Actually, a, it's a... It's a prestige situation where there's a <laughs> every day we duplicates. get put in the bar graph bed and then that shuttles us into a furnace and the new clones of us drop out of the vats into the bar graph bed. That's right. Also sort of a moon situation. How many movies have had this twist that we can spoil in this podcast? Hmm. At least two. Well, find out on tomorrow's page. <laughs> um, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, when we say win, it's actually the Doppler effect as we play on the street. <laughs> <laughs>